0: Welcome back to Homestuck Made the Squirrel, the show about the critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic Homestuck. I am Michael, and with me, as always, is Cameron. Meep. Uh, Meep, meep. This is my new uh, Homestuck character. (laughs) Meep, meep. Uh,
1: Mjorpland. he's an alien. Okay. He's from the future past, and he uh, carries an egg beater and a potato chip. (laughs) And he was <laughs> locked underneath the ground for a thousand years. And he's got a powerful magic wand that turns him into a dragon at the drop of a hat. That's Homestuck. I'm making up
0: my own Homestuck facts here because that's just how reading the whole thing feels. Um. Well, <laughs> so here we are. We can call it. Uh, this is episode two, three. Uh, Cameron has created uh, his fan troll. Murepland. oh no, oh no, um, and so i I expect to see all of the Mjörpland fan art out there once we once we hit the the proper point in the story and and we get a better sense of the trolls for for Cameron himself, but uh he's given you an extremely good schematic, I think for uh you know the jumping off point uh yeah this is this is episode uh two three uh that is to say part three of episode two we talked about uh act three in the previous two parts and today we are talking about the homestuck intermission uh which of course means that uh before we learn more about uh you know dragons and and being in bunkers and so on uh we need to check in with you cameron uh it's time for the f-boy island check-in
1: oh yeah uh f-boy island uh came and went for many of you mm-hmm. but uh it's in our hearts for- forever <laughs> Um, you know, this is a thing. You know, we have we have a check in here, but how much do you want? Do you want me to tell you what happens during the entirety of F Boy Island? Because the whole thing came out. We all, you know, we know about the end of F Boy Island. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, no. Like, I mean, this is the intermission. This is where we put this kind like Mm, nothing we're talking about here is important at all for the rest of the show or the rest of Homestuck. So, like, tell me all about F Boy Island.
1: Non canonical F Boy Island content. Mm -hmm. The okay, I'm gonna spoil F Boy Island. And if you don't want to hear the end of F-Boy Island, then just skip forward like five minutes. I think you'll be okay. And I think, you know what? I think you'll be okay, even if you've heard it. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think. So, uh, I, you know, I think the last time that we talked about F-Boy Island, I could only tell you about the, uh, the trailer. So at this point, we, I've seen it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting things about F-Boy Island. All those F-Boys are on that island. Uh huh. There are three ladies who, uh, are former, um, you know, I I don't know, people who hang out with F boys and don't want to be anymore. (laughs) That, yeah, they're like in recovery. Okay. And the, uh, and, and so the F boys all show up, and there, there's a bunch of, uh, you know, well, half of them are F boys and half of them are nice guys, right? Mm hmm. But they're all, uh, muscular looking, you know, they Mm -hmm. got, uh, uh, wonderful hair mm-hmm. flying all about. Mm-hmm. They wear damper trench coats and that sort of thing. Yeah. They they are. Uh, yeah. They're, they're, uh, half of them wear zoot suits mm-hmm. and uh, in order to protest the war and uh, they're just hanging out. I think they're in Puerto Rico, I believe okay. is where they filmed it. And so they're just kind of hanging out in this little like beach resort. Anyway, so like, you, you know, um, normal reality show, bachelor, bachelorette kind of stuff happens, right? They go on dates. They like, get to know each other but they are eliminated, okay? You know, one by one. Mm-hmm. The nice guy, when you're eliminated, you are you are forced to say whether you are an F-boy <laughs>
0: or a nice guy. So they force you to identify yourself like this uh, prior to like coming into the show. Yes, Okay. yes.
1: When, when you are uh, being recruited for the show, you say whether you are an F-boy or a nice guy. <laughs> okay. And so you have to own up to that, which it creates some interesting situations. At one point... During the show, someone is eliminated, and they say, "I'm a nice guy," and then the producers have to speak up and say, "No, you're an f boy." (laughs) (laughs) And then they like cut to the clip of their uh, recruitment video. Oh, you know, know, they're like, "They're like, I'm an f boy." Oh, so that's that's fun. There's some fun stuff going on with like media, uh, you know, multimedia formats here. Mm but the 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 fun part about it is that if when you're eliminated nice guys go to like a beach resort okay and they're just hanging out mm-hmm. they're just chilling out for the rest of the thing cuz filmed during quarantine of course they couldn't go home okay you know cuz everybody's got to come back at the end for the the way that these shows work and so they like contentify that so they turn all those people into like all the nice guys they're like hanging out and they start filming fiction clips uh-huh. of like what they're up to Okay. Yeah, this is a reality show. They just clips? To, you know, yeah. So they're like little skits and little like, uh, like one act plays about their their fitness routine or like what they're eating or whatever. And they're not filmed in documentary form. They're filmed as if it's like a real situation that you know is fiction here, right? Uh-huh. So it's like, hey, what's going on, Joey? Oh, I'm just eating some avocados. That kind of thing. <laughs> And they're like playing into it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's, There's a lot of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. If you're an F-boy, you get banished to F-boy Limbo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. Okay. And it is a camp <laughs> on the beach that is made up of coconuts. It looks like Gilligan's Island. Okay. It's made, everything's made up of coconuts and banana skins. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's got like a big wooden fence around it. <laughs> And a, a gate opens and closes. And it also is like this weird little fiction zone. Obviously, they're not living in this, like, sand camp. But everyone is pretending as if they're living in the sand camp. <laughs> they, like, they make a woman out of coconuts so they won't get lonely. <laughs> uh, They, like, start talking about how they don't have any food. They're pretending like they're starving to death. And every time someone gets banished into it, the door opens and they all run up. And they're all wearing, like, T-shirts tied around their head. And they've got, like, chapped lips, (laughs) which, you know, is the worst thing for an Mm F-boy. So that goes on for the whole season. And there's some uh, goofery, some up and down, some silliness that that occurs. But that's the basic basic gist of it. You know, it gets down to they add some new guys in. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of uh, confrontations that are involved in that. But the ending, which is so delightful, is that uh, each of the ladies... I think that each. I believe that each of the ladies have two guys they're choosing from. So There's three women and uh, six men at the end, and they make their choices. Mm-hmm. And of course, because there's, uh, uh, it's uh, all about the delicious drama on this program. One of the ladies chooses a guy. So what happens? Sorry, what happens at the end is that um, they can choose to be the men. The ladies choose the relationship. And then the men can choose: yes, I would like to be in that relationship, or no, I would like a hundred thousand dollars. I think it's a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So, so you know, there's this possibility of a twist. And so, uh, lady one chooses. Guy two says, uh, or you know, guy one says, "Yeah, okay, let's get in this relationship." Boom! Everything's happy. Music starts playing. You know, everything. Everyone loves it. Lady number two chooses a guy, and he says. I don't want to do it. I'm a fuck boy. I want that money <laughs> because he is a cryptocurrency investor, oh boy <laughs> and a quote unquote small business owner oh. definitely scamming PPE loans in the year 2020 but um allegedly uh not even allegedly, I made that up but um <laughs> but he's got that vibe, you know what I mean yeah and uh so this is what happens. everyone is shocked. Open-mouthed, comedian Nikki Glazer, open-mouthed shock about what's happening here. And then they say, okay, you can have the money, but we're donating it to a charity of her choice in your name. <laughs> and he's so pissed off about it. And there's like interviews afterward. And he's like, I just wanted the money. I just thought I was gonna get the money. It's a game show. I'm gonna do the. I'm gonna play the game. Should have gone on Jeopardy. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Like you
1: Yeah, you think there is like an F boy interview at the beginning of Jeopardy? <laughs> Where they like ask you a bunch of questions about yourself and ask if you're an F boy
0: or a nice guy. Ken Jennings, are you an F boy? <laughs> let us know in the comments.
1: You know, <laughs> let us know on Twitter. Let us know on YouTube comments. Let's know wherever you want to if Ken James is an F boy or a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's a, And then the other one chooses as well. Uh, but anyway, that's the end of it. Um, it's uh, a, a, a delightful show in concept that is just full of all of the poison of American romantic relationships. All right. You know, it's just, it's not it's fun, but not wholesome, I would say. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it, it it sounds fun the uh, donating the money to a charity of the woman's choice in the guy's name is extremely good
1: it's very good yes
0: <laughs> um and
1: uh it's good All, the ladies are very funny mm-hmm. i think that's that's pretty great i think we're living in a you know so i've n- i'd never seen up until very recently i'd never seen any of ruPaul's drag race but you can see a lot of the influence of that style of competitive show and the way that it's put together in something like Fboy Island. Mm. Just wholly been reabsorbed by straight people. Yeah.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Even I haven't seen uh any clips of Fboy Island at all except for the trailer. Uh and even just having heard you describe how Fboy Island works, I can see exactly how drag race comes in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's really leaning into like what I'm about to say is going to be such a stereotypical statement but but it is factually correct it leans into camp with some of those things mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and rupaul's drag race does not have a iron vice on camp in modern media but for a certain uh comfortable segment of i think a middle class straight audience it definitely does mm-hmm. and i think you can see that as part of the the promo for uh for Boy Island, so yeah, it, uh, you know, if you've got HBO Max and you're looking for a way to waste time, it's pretty funny across the board. Um, FBoy Island.
0: F uh, Island.
1: Th- three stars.
0: Three stars. Great. Better than a Bob Dylan song. Better than <laughs> all Bob Dylan songs put together, actually. Get rid of the collected uh, works of Bob Dylan and replace them with the works of uh, FBoy Island.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. Take back his Nobel there... Prize.
1: There's one segment where someone, where an F-boy escapes from F-boy Limbo uh-huh. and uh, has to hitch a ride all the way back. And the cameramen have to follow him. <laughs> when the whole thing is written, right? You yeah. know it's fake. Like the whole thing is constructed, but they thought that would be like the the kind of cinema verite <laughs> turn, mm-hmm. right? To like really make it feel real. And uh, it's funny. Anyway. Yeah. All
0: right. <laughs> What uh, what happened in this uh, in this intermission? Oh, All right, so let's let's summarize the intermission. <clears throat> in some other time and place, a guy named Spades Slick is a strangely familiar-looking mobster who leads a gang called the Midnight Crew, consisting of himself and his fellow scofflaws, Diamond's Droog, Heart's Boxcars, and Club's Deuce. We join them just as they have invaded the mansion of a rival gang known as the Felt in retaliation for a casino robbery. Slick orders the crew to take out the Felt and plunder their vault, while Slick himself has set out to kill the Felt's mysterious unseen boss, Lord English. The Felt are a bunch of weird green guys who all have individual, unique, and often very useless time travel powers. They are also all very stupid. The exception to this is the eighth member, Snowman, who seems to be of the same species, question mark, as the Midnight Crew, appears to have some sort of history with Slick, and whose time travel power is that if you kill her, the universe ends. A lot of extremely wacky time travel and murder-based shenanigans happen. Slick, in his desperation to get into the vault, travels to a timeline where everyone except himself and Snowman are dead. Locked in Lord English's vault by Snowman, Slick uses a barcode on his arm to open a skya stenciled door. He then descends into a bunker below and on a massive 12 monitor command station sees a video feed of a strange gray skinned child with horns. Recognizing the child, Slick types a greeting into the command station and the intermission ends. Yep. Uh, What I did not cover there uh, in in sort of granular terms, if if you're not reading along, uh, is all of the wacky time travel and murder hijinks, which are just uh, incredibly complicated logic puzzles. Uh, that I could explain, but it would be the most boring thing on earth if I were to walk through individually, actually, how all of this stuff happens. Uh, just suffice it to say, uh, there are time travel shenanigans, and we'll probably like discuss like the ones that are more interesting as we try to talk through like specific aspects of of this intermission. Um, the intermission is an interesting thing overall because it's a. It's a thing that a lot of people, like, stopped reading, like, did not think it was important to the actual story of of Homestuck, which, you know, sort of makes sense because it's called an intermission. Um, Mm -hmm. But also, it's one of those things where, like, there are people who are, you know, Homestuck fans um, who are, like, intermission people. Like, the intermission uh, has its own sub-fandom, right, within Homestuck generally. uh, And... I, I would not count myself like a part of that, but I will say I love the intermission quite a bit based on some of the things that uh, we've talked about off mic, Cameron. Uh, you had a different sort of feeling about this. Yeah. So, uh, you know,
1: every everywhere that we receive feedback on this show, you know, are the range touch discord, uh, Twitter, you know, we're both a part of that normal mapping discord. And so, uh, you know, I, I see what's going on over there and occasionally chat with people over there about the show. And everywhere, people have been like, "I can't wait for them to read through the intermission. Intermission's cool yeehaw intermission i I don't get it i don't I don't get it at mm-hmm. all, even a little bit um." I, I think maybe the problem here is I don't think the Midnight Crew are interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, and and it's such a bummer because I really like when we saw the um, Spade Slick as his other gremlin form, whatever that is, uh, you know, wearing his
0: jester's hat. Oh 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 yes, back in back in the mainline, uh, yes, Homestuck story. Yes, in the actual yeah, we don't know how these things are connected.
1: Obviously, they're connected in some way. Uh we don't i I don't know how that's connected yet, but uh when I saw him there, I was like, oh, it's that guy, and he's great like he is legitimately a fun character as someone who like hates to be <laughs> suborned beneath this like harlequin <laughs> universe <laughs> like that that's a uh, I really like that version of spades like whatever happens to to him there, but the for me, this like writing of a um over the top like noir goth thing mm-hmm. <laughs> right all of all of their storage apparati their logs are mm-hmm. all like heavy metal uh, like one's a mausoleum the bra- one, one is a bathtub the rat yes, tub yes yeah they all have these names um uh, you know y- Yeah, I don't know. I I don't find these characters particularly interesting. And like you're saying, every single little event that happens in this intermission is just like a time travel logic puzzle, Mm -hmm. which are not thrilling for me to read through either. Um, So, you know, I'm not trying to be a font of negativity here. I actually think that like the moments as they are happening are really interesting. I, I think that there's a lot of like fun stuff going on. But I think the, from a schematic point of view, Right from a schematic point of view, I really like what Homestuck has done so far. Right, which is like there's a a big weird mythology. We don't really know what all that mythology is. Here are these little characters. Here's how they all fit into that mythology. Here's how they all inter intersect with that mythology with all the Skya stuff and Spurb and all of that. Right, like I like the kind of scalar levels that we get for all of that because John Egbert hanging out in his his home is funny. Like there's funny stuff going on there uh all of the weird uh time travel stuff like it the most like blown out longest timeline funny or uh, 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 framework that's also funny to me like you know the the um <laughs> peregrine falcon and <laughs> the, the furtive pygmy and all those people mm-hmm. right like um like though th- those are all uh, interesting to me but none of the, the especially the felt which is just like hussy logic taken to its extreme mm-hmm. like here's way too many of something
0: <laughs> they all
1: have special rules you need to kind of have all of that in your head to understand what the hell is happening here good luck buddy um it, in a lot of ways you know this is a comparison we've made a bunch of times right that i've made a bunch of times uh around like jj abrams stuff lost that kind of thing but it really does seem like uh, the whole intermission feels like something to sink time into mm-hmm. like it's a it's fidget spinner narration mm-hmm. which is like there there is no output to it that goes beyond what is here on the page mm-hmm. meaning that there's no, no reward for learning the intricacies of the rules of all of these characters i don't think maybe i'm wrong maybe that's going to come back hugely in homestuck but in the intermission itself it's not being gestured outward beyond the intermission and it is saying, okay, if you really want to understand what happens and you want to, like, draw it out on a page, you're going to have to invest a lot of time into something that is purely deep dive and not uh, structurally helpful for you. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Hope you have a good time. <laughs> um, and, you know, in, in some ways, I, I say that. Um, Homestuck made this world, as is, as is the podcast name. Intermission makes Homestuck, I think, because mm-hmm. <laughs> everything that I just said about the intermission, because I've read f- for the next episode as well, all of that kind of stuff is applying to the next act of Homestuck as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the narratorial or narrative techniques that are being deployed here that I don't like are showing up in Act 4 mm-hmm. already. Mm-hmm. And I'm worried that this is the rest of Homestuck. <laughs> I'm worried that all the things that people really like and are so excited about and why I keep seeing across everything, people say Act 6 with huge uh, spoiler bars that I don't click on. I'm worried that it's like intermission style stuff mm-hmm. of things that are depth rewarding, but not breadth rewarding. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm pretty worried about that, but I'm not trying to monologue about the intermission. I don't know. I, as, as a
0: fan at the time and as
1: a fan of it now, what do you what do you think about this
0: intermission, Michael? All right. So <clears throat> um, one thing I'm actually going to say at the top just uh, before all of this, I want to explain something to you on Mike that I have thought that I need to tell Cameron this because it, it will help him understand something you have said to me before why does everyone keep talking about act six? Uh, Like, because when, you know, when conversation gets going in the discord, like it is just, you know, lines of spoiler blocks with people like specifying which parts of act six they're talking about. Um, And this may, this, this may be helpful for you, Cameron, to understand exactly why that keeps happening. Homestuck is approximately, you know, give or take 8,000 pages long. 4,000 of those pages are act six. Mm-hmm. yeah okay I, I did i did know that okay but it, very helpful for someone who who doesn't so i, I do totally get that yeah <laughs> so uh yeah yeah like that's that's something i want to say just so we we do know where we're going i won't comment on other stuff um but yeah you know uh wait are the are the epilogues do they count as part of act six or are they no? or are the epilogues their own thing? no 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 the epilogues come after act seven which is the end
1: oh got it got it okay okay,
0: okay. so hussy starts making this uh, in, see, this would be like early 2010 at this point. Um, the, the intermission comes around and it is sort of ostensibly, uh, a a way for Hussey to break things up a bit, uh, in the author commentary in the print books. And I've also been reading, you know, news posts and, and things like that. Um, one of the things Hussey says is that, uh, compared to say problem sleuth, it's a lot harder to make Homestuck. It, it takes a lot more work, especially because we have these animations and, and things of that nature. Uh, and so the intermission comes around as a way to m- tell a story that can move a little quicker, um, that can respond a little better to reader input commands, because all of this is still uh, reader input in, in terms of what commands are being used. Um, and uh, also uh touching on something I think we said maybe last part. Uh Hussey is here explicit in uh I think maybe the Form Spring uh that I was reading. Uh they are preparing Act 4 uh during this what intermission. Is, what is Form Spring? Form Spring is a question or was, I think it's dead now uh, entirely. Form Spring is a question and answer platform kind of like uh Curious Cat. Um, I think is one that's still kind of current today where you have an account. People can anonymously write in, ask you questions, and then you like respond with your answers. Uh, does that answer your question? It does, but I can imagine a world in which someone yeah. might not know what that is. Um,
1: it, it's really interesting. It's, it's just kind of like Tumblr's ask feature, but off platform, right?
0: Yes, exactly. It is exactly that sort of thing.
1: Because uh, uh, well, if people don't know, Tumblr also had this function. You could mm-hmm. ask, and you could anonymously ask too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you could, add, and you could attach your name to it as well. But uh, you could do asks with people on Tumblr, and when they responded to it, it could generate a post from that. And so some people's entire Tumblr blogs were just like elaborate uses of
0: the the ask mm-hmm. function. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, like that actually... Hussey starts uh, running a form spring, not during the intermission, but during the beginning of Act 4. And mm-hmm. uh, I've been reading that. So, And people are asking about kind of recent developments. And so that's where Hussie kind of breaks down uh, the fact that they wanted to do some more pre-planning for Act 4. And so they used the intermission uh, partly as a way to break up their own workflow, but also as a way to uh, give themselves time to put together some of the things we're going to see in Act 4. Mm -hmm. I can't say too much about it yet, but anyhow, uh, the initial sort of posting, uh, was that the intermission will be about two weeks. This is what Hussey sort of estimates. Um, and then says, it'll be a fun change of pace. Plus, try not to be altogether floored if it turns out that what's going on here isn't completely unrelated to the events in the HS universe, though maybe you were suspecting that already. Uh... This is interesting if we're going to think about Michael as a historical reader, uh, because I'm not reading the news posts. I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm enjoying Homestuck. You know, I, I mentioned last time that, uh, or a time recently that Act Three is kind of where I came close to giving up on this. Uh, and then I sort of come back around the intermission does do something to keep me invested and the way that it does this this is the other big important thing about uh the intermission as a as a i don't know site in this narrative uh is that it is largely based on callbacks to problem sleuth Mm -hmm.
1: uh
0: so things like uh you know the 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 way that the midnight cruise inventory works is a callback to problem sleuth, but also an inversion. So here in the midnight crew like I can't remember exactly what it is it's like, uh, you can hold like they can hold like four weapons in one item. and their one item is their deck of cards, which when they take it out becomes like the Brausoleum or the Tub, And then that's filled with other stuff. Like they have an inventory within their inventory, essentially. Whereas mm-hmm. in Problem Sleuth, it was uh, you could hold one weapon and then you had like four pockets or something like that. So uh, all of these little uh, weird bits of characterization that I think You know are much starker if you know problem sleuth right if you know kind of like what this uh story is being a a sort of negative image of uh you get a stronger sense for like uh just you know the the complete obtuseness uh i'm sure that you, you you caught on to cameron that uh things that are weapons will stop being weapons if you try to use them as weapons
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and then if you try to use them as the thing that they, so this is called object duality, uh, in, in kind of like Homestuckian lore, uh, or MSPA lore, I guess. Uh, and it goes back to like one of the first gags in Problem Sleuth, which is that you are, you know, Problem Sleuth, you're locked in your office, you find a key or no, I think it starts out you, uh, you have a gun, right? And in, someone tells Problem Sleuth to pick up his gun. Uh, and then it's like, what gun, what are you talking about? And then in the panel, it's become a key that's like sitting on the desk. So then uh, when the key is in the inventory, if you say unlock the door, Problem Sleuth whips out his gun and shoots the door. So you have to Mm -hmm. learn to uh, ask for the opposite thing of what you want in order to get the action to happen. It's a a great illustration of what you have previously called that genie logic. It absolutely is.
1: <laughs> Robin Williams flying around, <laughs> giving you exactly not what you want, but but in a way that invites investment, mm-hmm. right? Like the uh, hussy's a genius. Uh, <laughs> like if only in a way that um you know this is what in in, uh game design right gets called sticky friction Mm -hmm. right it is it is a problem or a little bit of an issue I mean this is like part of I guess flow theory in a broad sense um you know and check out our episode on uh flow highs flow (laughs) from game study study buddies to find out what we think about that but the way that this gets described right is you create conditions that are um difficult or frustrating but not so frustrating or difficult that people give up because they can, uh, you know, uh, discipline themselves. They can learn uh, to operate within the rule set. And that is j- what what a perfect, almost a child's game. I mean, it literally is a child's game, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is almost red light, green light levels mm-hmm. of of game design. But talk about a way of, of, of getting people to over invest in the mechanics of what you're doing. Um, I, I'm going to say this uh, here, and, and I don't mean this in any kind of dismissive way at all. I think it is actually very powerful and worth thinking about. Michael, you're writing a book on Homestuck mm-hmm. as part of the process here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you should investigate children's media in relationship to Homestuck. I mean,
0: I, I've definitely like made notes to this effect.
1: I, so much of Homestuck feels like Dora the Explorer. Mm-hmm. And I I don't mean that in a, uh, not in a dismissive way at all about it, but right, there's a kind of a cleanness and simplicity to the demand and a strong follow through every time. Mm -hmm. You get what you want or you don't get what you want, and then you have to live with the consequences. Mm -hmm. Um, It really, really stark kind of, um, you know, almost like folklore game. Kind of or fault game, I guess, is what they're called.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and like for instance, in like Dora the Explorer, um, I it's presented as a computer game where she's addressing the audience, and the the kid at home says something, and of course, like the the show is like pre written, pre recorded, right? It's not going to be responsive in any real sense, um, but it is designed to have the feeling of responsiveness. Uh, mm-hmm. that I think, and th- the other connection here that I would make because, you know, being a theater person is, uh, the British tradition of pantomime, um, like mm-hmm. sort of children's like Christmas plays that adults put on. And there's like a, if currently because of a uh, certain like, uh, cross-dressing traditions within pantomime, um, uh, this is like, uh, it's a fraught issue in, uh, the UK currently, but like one mm-hmm. of the sort of hallmarks of pantomime shows is that you have a character who, like Dora the Explorer, can address the audience, which is largely children, while, say, uh, the villain of the panto uh, walks around behind them and the children like shout out like he's behind you, he's behind you. But uh, every time the person turns around, like the villain hides behind something, right? It, it's it's mm-hmm. the exact yeah. same sort of dynamic. The, the
1: English love that. They mm-hmm. love yelling it upstage. Yeah. they love yelling. Uh, He's behind you. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they love clapping to bring Peter Pan back to life yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine? Uh, j- just uh, sorry. One one more brief diversion. Can you imagine? Dora sits down, sings that goddamn backpack song. <laughs> backpack opens up, and and it's like the tree, <laughs> like the binary tree that Rose has. <laughs> Dora spends another 14 minutes trying to get, you know, whatever, her granola bar.
0: Hola, today we're going to learn about data structures. Um. (laughs) Oh, it is not BN. (laughs) uh but yeah so that's that's one sort of problem sleuth thing that's happening here other sort of callbacks are uh you know uh everyone has a, a a cool like noirish hat that they're wearing and then they all also have backup hats and some of them keep candy in their backup hats because in problem sleuth every character you know it was like a sort of noirish setting or a hard-boiled setting and all of the characters had hats and they all had candy inside their hats uh the sorts of uh I guess, commands we start getting like one is uh, where someone tells clubs deuce. So the thing you need to know about the felt mansion is that it's huge. It's all green and there are clocks everywhere. Uh, And, you know, when spade slick starts out, he has like a little counter at the bottom in the narration. It's like, you know, uh, However, out of uh, 15 uh, green torsos dead, right? Counting up how many people, uh, how many members of the felt have been killed. And then like, however many out of 1000 clocks destroyed, this is all also problem sleuth stuff. Like there were counters in problem sleuth that were keeping track of things like this. Um, But then there's that scene where someone tells Club's Deuce, who's like the shortest and sort of goofiest member of the Midnight Crew, right? He's the most harmless looking uh, to punch clocks in faces to establish chronology. uh, And then Club's Deuce refuses to do that. He he admires the clocks too much. Um, But like that specific, say, formulation, punch clocks in faces to establish chronology, is itself a callback to an initial command in Problem Sleuth, which was something like uh, punch something right in the face or in the snout to establish supremacy, which then became its own sort of like meme structure that repeats and reiterates throughout uh, Problem Sleuth with various characters, you know, punching various things in various places to establish various things. Mm. Gotcha. Uh, There's a a real way in which uh, for me, Michael, the historical reader, who you'll recall, has no idea that this is going to be in any way relevant to Homestuck. (laughs) Mm. Like to my thinking, here is here is what I think. (laughs) This is this is actually another important part. Speaking of weirdly enough, speaking of uh, 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 the UK and Britain and pantos, uh, I first saw a panto when I was an undergraduate and I was studying abroad in London, which I was doing while the intermission was posting. Mm -hmm. i did not intend that (laughs) that's just kind of how this worked around uh but anyhow uh i was like doing (laughs) others
1: i like the opposite universe that you just eliminated in which you were like oh my god the intermissions posting i've got to get to england (laughs) (laughs)
0: i've got to get out of this damn country (laughs) i got to get out of here Um norway's
1: full shit going to england
0: (laughs) uh but anyhow right so i i am starting like the next semester in school cuz it's early uh january i fly to the uk um if you've ever studied abroad i don't know how that experience was for you but for me it was very busy i had never been out of the country before um and it was just it was a whole thing for me so i would wake up in the mornings And I would check my RSS uh, reader and I would just, you know, read whatever was there. And in the case of Homestuck or this intermission, I was like, oh, this is nice. Like, I don't have to keep track of as much stuff uh, in terms of whatever the hell was going on in all of the like kids having adventures, because clearly Andrew Hussey has been tired of that and wants to take a break. And that's a great benefit to me, the reader. So I'm just sort of like, you know, reading this thing, like enjoying it. And my sense of it, actually, that I recall was that like, because the kids have gone to MS Paint Adventures in their own narrative, right, they went to they went to MS Paint Adventures.com dot com where the Midnight Crew adventure was running. Uh, my sort of assumption was just that uh, this was a way for Hussie to tell kind of multiple stories and switch between them as they felt like it. Mm. Um. So I, uh, you know, went through th- this. This was scheduled to be, I think, two weeks, as as Hussey says in the news post. Uh, and I think it ended up being three, which is maybe the best uh, time that Hussey estimated anything they were ever doing in terms of how long <laughs> it was going to take. Uh, mm-hmm. But then I remember getting to the end of this intermission and being like, what the hell? <laughs> Because suddenly it's all one story. (laughs) Well, and and because I guess it sort of does turn out to be one story. But at the time I was just like, oh, huh, weird. Um, But yeah, that's sort of how I felt about the intermission is like at the time I just thought it was like a fun diversion and it was a nice change of pace. And I really liked uh, kind of the. Both the callbacks to Problem Sleuth, but also the ways that it was like, this is the mean asshole version of Problem Sleuth, where everyone's a jerk. Uh, and uh, you asked me, you know, what is it that people really love about the intermission? And I haven't, you know, done a, a scientific study of this or a poll or anything, but I would say, uh, you know, there's mm-hmm. there is a certain segment of. uh intermission lovers who like it for the problem sleuth callbacks, how it reminds them of that and plays with those expectations. I also think there's a certain sort of person who really loves these kinds of time travel logic puzzles. Um, And in fact, Cameron, I'm just going to drop some images here into the chat for you to look at. These are infographics that readers made during the intermission. Of course. Of course, people would want to know. So God, that's one map. And then here's another two-part map. That these are these are oh. all, and I know this is great content for a podcast. Oh, God. Um, but these are all sort of like, you know, action maps and timelines for the intermission. Yeah. This is exactly the kind of thing people made
1: for Lost, by the way. hmm Like, the exact. Oh, and also, it's a little bit later, I guess, but uh, Inception. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This, the, uh, the second one you gave me looks a lot like the Inception timeline mapper thing. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, this is uh, this is the type of response that, that readers are having. Um, one of the things that I actually noticed in reading like the Something Awful thread is that this is when people start saying out loud like, oh, now I know how lost fans feel. Uh, mm. like that comparison becomes conscious and explicit and it only becomes more conscious and explicit in the stuff we're going to read. Uh, like the there s- something awful had a lost em- uh, emoticon and people are just like <laughs> using it constantly.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it was like the lost logo fading out into the black. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yep, so whenever anything that was like a total mind screw happens, uh, people will just make a post responding, and it's just the lost emoticon. That's just the lost logo fading out. hmm Hmm. Well. There's a third reason, then, that I think people really love the intermission, and I told you that this is kind of the thing that I really love about the intermission. The thing, you know, at the time, I really appreciated the problem sleuth stuff, but what sticks with me is thing number three uh and it's the felt who i love i adore the felt conceptually like in their like just so the thing that i did not mention in my summary is that all of these people are uh modeled after billiard balls in the same way yeah. that, for instance, in the medium, uh, the war between uh, uh, Prospit and Purpo is like two sides of a chess game. Uh, and then like the Midnight Crew themselves all have kind of names after they're, they're, na- they're named after the suits of cards. Mm-hmm. The felts are all modeled on uh, billiards. Right. And that that's in their name. Right. They are the felt and they're all green and so on and so forth. Um, but uh They are all these sort of like intricately uh, imagined, but extremely stupid characters. Uh, And I guess I'll just run through them uh, because why not? Uh, There's Ichi, who's the number one. uh, And, you know, his name is a pun. It is a a pun on the Japanese Ichi, meaning number one. And he just moves really, really fast. Right. That's what he does. Then there's number two, Doze uh whose name is also a pun right for uh spanish dose uh and he moves really really slowly 3 is trace uh who can retrace your past trail right and obviously like that's what he does as his power but trace is again spanish uh for 3 so another pun and as you say right this this is like sort of crunchy stuff that really has no uh, I think inherent like meaning, right? There's not like deep thematic analysis to be drawn out of these three characters and their pun names and their extremely stupid powers. But for how it works out, uh, I just love it. It is like top to bottom stuff that I adore uh and I guess uh, do you want me to just run through the rest of them? We can put these guys on the table and uh, talk about the ones that you think are interesting. Put them on the table, uh-huh,
1: the billiards table. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Go
0: ahead. Yeah. So uh, number four is Clover, who's a a short little dude. And uh, Clover's entire thing is he is extremely lucky. Uh, He's so lucky that you can't shoot him, but you can hit him with a newspaper because it's not really unlucky to be hit with a newspaper. It's just kind of a gray area. Uh, He also loves riddles. Uh, There is Finn who is like Trace uh, in that he can see, like, your little trail, uh, except he sees your future trail rather than your past trail. So he sees your end. Um, And as you mentioned, Cameron, uh, again, off mic, uh, Finn and Trace, like, the the trails that they see are, like, these, like, weird tentacles that extend in space in front of them and are clearly modeled off of the same sort of weird thing that shows up in the film Donnie Darko. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forget what it's called. I forget what it's called. It's called like The Spear, I think, in Donnie Darko. Yeah,
1: something like that. Something like that. I can't remember. Uh, Yeah, it was really weird to be reading this. And of course, this is like in the middle of Donnie Darko Fever, you know what I mean, where that was like the cool alternative movie, Mm -hmm. especially for like people on the internet to talk about. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, it was kind of in that same spot as like Fight Club or Mm -hmm. um, like Hedwig and the Angry Inch, Mm -hmm. you know, I kind of put in that same category. Um, but you know, of like alternative movies that are interesting that no, that your granddad hasn't watched. Mm-hmm. Let's um, put up the poster but, in our uh, dorm room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dorm room poster, uh, movies that are not uh, Scarface and the Godfather. But, <laughs> um, the, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is not interesting. <laughs> I was like, I was like, this is going to be a, like, uh, like a rote tracing of something that we could just cut to the chase with. Right. Mm-hmm. This is a way of, in, of creating a bunch of panels. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I felt about like the Donnie Darkoisms. isms. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, I was like, Oh, I guess I'm going to have to remember these, but luckily, no, I don't, I don't have <laughs> to remember any of those because they don't matter. Um, you, you know, something that you were just talking about made me think about this. This is like in, especially in like PS2 era video games, the way that you know you might it might be a game with like 12 levels and one level would have an enemy type that you had to like learn a whole new way of interacting with them mm-hmm. and they basically never showed back up again or if they did it was like in the boss rush at the end that's exactly how this feels like Mm-hmm. like it's the same vibe of like yep this is this is the time travel level Yep.
0: <laughs> and i gotta sit through it Yeah, I think that's a very good comparison because the way that I would describe the way I was trying to think through like what it is I like about the felt is that they are like, they're like a Metal Gear Solid boss team, except they're Mm -hmm. all stupid. Right. Rather than being a crack team of uh, like elite agents with superpowers, this is like, yeah, what if actually like commanding bees and being surrounded by bees all the time was really inconvenient for you and everyone around you? Yeah, except in this case, it's all time travel. So that's that's, I guess, one of the reasons why the felt really worked for me. Uh, Number six is die uh because you know die have six sides uh die carries a and i quote here voodoo doll so just you know that's a it's a Cultural, I understand why that shows up here. It's a very like common sort of like trope, but uh, I think did we was it on this show? Like, I know we've had to like touch on voodoo before, but like that's an actual practice. Like, there there's a history there. Like, don't just sort of like uh blithely deploy ideas like voodoo dolls uh in in your fiction, right? Do a little bit of research on this sort of thing. Um, but anyway, uh, dies doll. Uh, he can put pins in it. And that will travel him like the pins represent people that uh, he knows. And when he puts the pin uh, in the doll, he travels to a timeline where that person is dead. Uh, This is important because when he runs into Spade Slick, he decides he's going to cut to the chase and travel to a timeline where Spade Slick uh, is dead. And when he does that, uh, everything everything literally disappears, and he's left in this, like, em- vast, empty desert with, like, a uh, green and pink planet floating in the sky above him.
1: Yeah, when that happens,
0: is that when, like, the other wandering, vagrant-looking person shows up? Oh, yeah, that's, that's yeah, tell me more about that, Cameron. What's, there's another, there's that's another furtive thing. here. Straggler, it's on
1: 1274. Yeah.
0: And they go to this timeline where like
1: because like says... Um, I built this world. It used to be a desert before mm-hmm. that, or something like that, right? Uh, yeah. And lo and behold, that's <laughs> that's true. I guess like the world only exists for Spade Slick or this like version of the world. And uh so yeah, that happens, and it like zooms in, and it's a hold on. Let me let me
0: jump to the. It's on twelve. Yeah. What did I just say?
1: 1274
0: yeah so I, so I don't think this is uh specifically when they're uh fighting die i think it's when they're fighting sawbuck but it's it's the same thing right like you see you first yes. see this location with die um and then you see it again later with another guy i'm going to talk about in a couple minutes but it's good to talk about this now
1: oh <laughs> uh, yeah that's right right the, they this is when they jump far into the past which is functionally the same thing um mm-hmm. but yeah there's there's someone called the scurrilous straggler Mm-hmm. and who has who looks even more like um spade slick kind of thing and in fact has the spade on his chest
0: mm-hmm. little spade pin upon his his waistband robes pin,
1: yeah. and he's also got like the noir suit underneath the the what do you call it the vagrant robe mm-hmm. wraps
0: whatever they are so something's going on there yeah uh so that's yeah we so when we say there's time travel things here, we are not joking <laughs> yeah. as if you think we might be by this point. Um, there there are going to be timelines to keep track of to make sense of this thing. Uh, the number seven uh, member of the felt is crowbar who is dead when it starts. Uh, crowbar has been killed before the intermission starts, but uh, he has a crowbar. <laughs> he has a magic crowbar and, uh like his magic crowbar basically allows him to ignore the effects of time travel or like the the crowbar can be used on things to pry them out of time loops right is is i think how clover mm-hmm. explains it so uh he is also he he comes back later uh because at some point uh slick travels to a alternate timeline of the felt mansion fight where crowbar was not killed and then brings the crowbar from the old timeline or like this alternate timeline back to the main timeline in order to make use of the crowbar. Yeah. Great stuff. Uh, That's crowbar. Then there's Snowman, who I've already mentioned, and Snowman is distinct from the rest of the felt because, as I said, she is, uh, she appears to be, like, similar to, if not of the same species as the Midnight Crew, right, uh, the chromatic black skin rather than, uh, the, the violently green, like, felt-colored skin, uh, and she is, uh, as I said, the, again, as I said, her her power is if you kill her, the universe ends, which, of course, is another pool reference, uh, because if you pocket the eight ball early, then you lose the game.
1: Yeah, and she's the first, um, uh, you know, the, the next couple episodes we're going to record, the first sexy lady uh-huh. <laughs> of a couple that are going to show up here. Now, Homestuck has not been full of what I would call sexy ladies, Mm -hmm. sexy animated ladies. That's like not a thing Mm -hmm. in this universe so far. But over the next couple episodes, we're going to see a couple of them Mm -hmm. that that have the distinct air of someone making web comics in the early 2000s and drawing sexy ladies. What's going on with that? Uh, Is that a question you want me to answer? yeah i think so was this uh, because it, it's really kind of out of character right for the for the thing and there is a tonal shift here uh around like pornography and uh like erotic content I really love the like the like kind of porn joke later about the gray ladies that's yes. <laughs> uh, it's a newspaper and and they're like hitting hitting the fella what what was his name clover uh with clover they're hitting clover with the newspaper and uh, you find out that it's not a newspaper
0: well it's it is it's a it's a false newspaper that wraps around his real (laughs) pornographic newspaper (laughs) (laughs) that is called the gray ladies uh that is just like a bunch of like vintage black and white like nudes
1: yeah and they all have had like so this it's on 1328 no clothes no shame no chroma Because it's all in, it's all in, you know, grayscale, her gray area exposed, you know, (laughs) you'll get excited. (laughs) Like, it's a bunch of like, you know, grayscale pornography jokes. Uh, And it's like this, all this like 19th century, early 20th century, like nude bottom pornography, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like light erotica, but, but that's a tonal shift, right? Um, Or it feels like a tonal shift to me in the comic in a broad sense of like, this is not showing up in Homestuck before this, and then we get it kind of shotgun style over the next, you know, whatever, 600 panels. I don't know, it feels weird. Is, is anyone commenting on this at the time?
0: Do, do you have an explanation for this? Uh, So, no, no one is commenting on this. That's what I can say. Uh, in terms of an explanation, I cannot offer one in, in kind of a material sense, uh, but the observation that I can make as someone who kind of knows where we're going... Um, is that we are going to see the gradual escalation of like, uh, w- more, more frank content, uh, in Homestuck dealing with like sexuality and relationships, uh, and a lot more jokes, uh, revolving around this kind of stuff. Uh, and that's, that's as much as I can say right now. Um, we'll, we'll see kind of how it lands with you, I guess. Uh, but I, I guess that what I can, what I can say, is that this is a story that is going to become extremely about teenagers. Gotcha. Okay. I don't know what that sets you up for, but <laughs>
1: that makes sense. Um. Yeah. I mean, because I'm just thinking, you know, and also we were talking about the way that Hussy monetized or marketed. And, you know, the most cynical version of the imagination is if you create Snowman, who is like a sexy noir lady, you can sell images of Snowman, the sexy noir lady,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: which is definitely a strategy in this era of Mm webcomics, right? Like, I'm not making that up, am I?
0: No, no, you're not. I will say, uh, I don't think that, like... Thinking about how sexy Snowman is does not become a focal point for this comic. That's not where we're going with this. Um, (laughs) uh, No, no. And and that's
1: not what I would think is going on, right? But it's in the same way that, like, Hussie has been so uh, smart about creating, like, tertiary offshoots that, like, engage fan investment. Mm -hmm. And creating a character people can fixate on in a sexual manner is one of those ways as much as anything else,
0: as much as, like, learning arbitrary rules is, right? hmm Here, I am going to wager that the fixation is going to land not so much on this particular character. Uh, what I think Snowman affords uh, in her appearance is... In her appearance and, and her presentation, right? Like, we, we're, we've we're talked about mm-hmm. how she looks, but also she acts like a certain type mm-hmm. of lady, right? She She shows up in a flash... Like, this is how she's introduced, so we know she's, like, important in some way. Uh, the Felt and the Midnight Crew are having a gun battle, right? A firefight. And then she shows up, and everyone has to stop. Because everyone knows if you shoot Snowman, the universe ends. And no one wants that to happen. So she just shows up. She walks through, like, with this kind of, like, you know, uh, the, the song is is great by Clark Powell. It's called Three in the Morning. Um, and it's just like sort of this jazzy light piano thing. Uh, and she strolls in. She comes up to to Slick, who is, again, kind of this uh, hard-boiled noir character. And she her text fades in. She doesn't speak, you know, audibly. Um, but she's like, hey, Slick, got something in your eye. And then she stabs her cigarette holder into his eye. Yes. And then he, you know, he, he like snarls at her, but can't do anything because if you hurt snowman, the universe ends. Uh, so there's a dynamic between these characters where she's kind of this femme fatale and he is mm-hmm. incapable of doing anything about it.
1: Mm-hmm. And he gets embarrassed when
0: she shows up later and sees him horsing around. Yes, uh, that, that scene right where he... he- He rides the the lance and like pretends it's a pony. (laughs) Yes. And then it turns out she's like he's riding his
1: like mace thing that he has with the horse head on the top. Um, Yeah, but yeah, right. There's like this uh, embarrassment, Mm -hmm. you know, in front of the girl you like Mm -hmm. that. That's absolutely the thing that's happening. Yeah. So I don't know. I I, I just want to flag it because I think it's important. There's a qualitative change to
0: the types of characters that are showing up here in the comic. The ninth member of the Felt is Stitch. Uh, Stitch in time saves nine. Uh, Stitch is the Felt's medic. He has a whole bunch of effigies of everyone in the Felt, and when they get injured, he can stitch up the effigies, and that uh, heals their wounds. He also is in charge of Lord English's uh, backup overcoat, the Cairo overcoat, which is uh, the only glimpse we get of Lord English here we, we he's talked about a couple times but we never get to see him uh but he's apparently really really tall because it's this massive friggin coat with like all these flashing colors on it and it gets frayed uh the more like weird things happen with space time so stitch has to be constantly patching up uh lord english's uh overcoat mm-hmm. uh then there is sawbuck who i mentioned previously uh you know, Sawbuck is slang for a $10 bill, so he's number 10. Uh, he's a big guy, and whenever he gets injured, uh, you if you injure Sawbuck, you and he travel to some random point in the past or the future. And that's how we, like, we at, at a certain point, we end up with, uh, because we go to an alternate timeline, we have two Sawbucks, and so then there are two Sawbucks constantly being hurt, and people are ping-ponging back and forth between various timelines. Uh, matchsticks is number 11 we never meet matchsticks i'm not going to say anything more about matchsticks because matchsticks like crowbar is dead before the story starts here um, and does not get brought back in the way that crowbar does uh then there are my two favorites my personal favorites number 12 eggs and number 13 biscuits Mm -hmm. biscuits has a magic time traveling oven that, when he crawls inside, he can travel forward through time at the rate of one second per second. Yep. Um, <laughs> eggs. That's a that's a very good gag, it, by the way. It is it is so good. <laughs> and then I love how like the complete stupidity of it matches with the complete stupidity of Eggs, who has an egg timer, uh, a magic egg timer that. Uh, he can turn it back in time and then travel back to that point in time. So he can just constantly like turn his timer back and make copies of himself or anything he's touching. So what happens is biscuits crawls into his oven eggs, grabs the oven and starts using the egg timer. And then suddenly you have like infinite copies of eggs and biscuits, all crowding the same room. (laughs) Yeah. It becomes a problem. Yes. Uh, uh, like, the, there's a bit in uh, one of Stitch's scenes where it's mentioned that they have to keep the effigies for biscuits and eggs in their own separate warehouse because they reduplicate <laughs> yeah. at, at such a rate that it's just impossible to keep them under under control.
1: Yeah, it keeps them in a warehouse downtown or something. <laughs> <laughs> there's there, something about the geography of it is very funny. Yeah, the, um, the entire thing with the felt... Uh, the, one of the interesting things about Homestuck is that I never have a sense of what... how. Of how smart a thing is, you know, I don't have a better way of expressing that, like, um, you know, how deep the reference goes, how clever uh, Hussey is being about where they're making the reference or not, Um, because, and I say that because, uh, you know, David Hume, Mm -hmm. philosopher, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, very famously conceptualizes causality, like, how do we know that causal things function by using a billiard table? Mm-hmm. You know, he says that, uh, uh, we, you know, it, he's, try, he's trying, he's doing a philosophical example and he's doing it through text only, right? So he's trying to get you in his mindset and he's like, look, you know, here's the thing. Like we know that causality works um, in the same way that you know that a billiard, you hit a billiard ball into another billiard ball and it's going to create a certain reaction, you know, so it's going to bounce off the, the wall of the billiards table and it's going to go hit the other ball, you know, and we live our lives Based on the interaction, we live our lives based on the same suppositions that we make about how the billiard balls are going to interact. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, tomorrow, you know, tomorrow will be like today. the The sun's going to rise. Uh, you know, the Earth will not explode. Things like that. It's the same kind of causal expectations that we have at the billiard ball. The billiard ball is the universe, as far as like. Uh, the way we think about it. Mm -hmm. And and Hume says, but actually we don't really know if that's the case or not. (laughs) You know, that's, that's the trouble with it. Uh, You know, you might hit that billiard ball and it might do anything, but it probably won't probably do the exact thing you want it to do. And so it's really interesting to see uh, Hussey do that with billiard balls, right? Mm -hmm. That all of causality kind of gets gamified and logic puzzleified around Characters that are based off of the interactions of billiard balls, although not in a direct way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, something really interesting here. So that is fascinating to me. And, and you, I don't know. You know, it just maybe happenstance, maybe a reference. Mm-hmm. You know, it would make a lot of sense. People read that a lot in like intro to philosophy classrooms, so it wouldn't be shocking. Um, so there, you know, there's that. And then there's also uh, it feels like a play on Through the Looking Glass. Mm-hmm. In um, the way that through the Looking Glass, if you've read that, the sequel to Alice in Wonderland, it is played as a chess game. Mm-hmm. So you can you it, literally it is a, a chess game, and what Alice is a white pawn, I believe. Yes, I think so. And all of the interactions that happen between Alice and the other characters follow the movements of um, a chessboard. And like you can buy copies of that book. I think I've mentioned this on shows before, but you can buy copies of that book with the chess game like in the corner, so you know in what chapter what position Alice is at. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's a really fascinating thing, but very similar kind of vibe to it of this like kind of playfulness of causal relations where things bounce off of one another and have impacts on each other. And so then, you know, um, billiard ball one touches billiard ball two, which causes an impact on billiard ball three, which is exactly how the whole intermission works, right? It's mm-hmm. like the, these logic puzzles bouncing off of other logic puzzles to create these weird novel circumstances um i you know uh it's fascinating from like a schematic point of view um absolute (laughs) torture to read (laughs) (laughs) like as far as like having it in your head what's actually occurring the writing is very funny i actually really i like the midnight crew as like characters uh but i I don't like the having to sit through the the minutiae of the the interactions of the
0: billiard characters uh <clears throat> last two members of the felt uh, quarters, who is also dead before the intermission begins and does not uh, get brought back to life. So I won't talk about what quarters is up to. And uh, 15 cans uh, cans is huge and he is like the muscle. He can literally punch you into next week.
1: Yeah, we were talking about off mic about the segment at the end where basically like cans shows up and like ends the, you know, ends the intermission. (laughs) Yeah. It's the ultimate, like, you know, jettisoning mechanic because it's spade slick and a couple of the other dudes, whatever their names are. I don't care. (laughs) It doesn't matter. The, a couple of other dudes and they've made it to the safe that they're trying to get to. And they're like, Oh, we're okay. As long as cans doesn't show up. And then (laughs) lo and behold, cans shows up Mm -hmm. and punches, um, punches one of them into next week.
0: Mhm. Where he's doing uh, some grocery lit- shopping. That's Diamond's <laughs> Droog. Yeah,
1: yeah Diamond's Drug gets up he's like and he's like I'm I'm uh, you know. Oh yeah, I'm got some doing some grocery shopping. Like he he seems perfectly okay with it. And then there's a sweet bro and Hella Jeff reference that happens?
0: Yes, yes, the the selection has too many prices and values.
1: Yeah, so there like there's this weird thing that goes on there where like everything gets wrapped together at the end. Where it's like, oh, here's Sweet Bro and hell, Jeff, but, you know, it, it, showing up in the descriptor paragraph, you know, or the text paragraph, which is really odd. Mm-hmm. That that's not really how those characters or those ideas have showed up in Homestuck so far. For the most part, they've showed up as like the thing that Dave is making or references that the kids are making to each other. But now it's like in the narratorial DNA, mm-hmm. which is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, who's the other one?
0: Uh, the other who,
1: who, who's the other person who gets punched? Oh, hearts oh, boxcars
0: is the one who gets punched yeah. into next calendar year. Yes, <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> like the high point of the intermission for me.
1: <laughs> oh, easy, no, like no question.
0: Uh, so he, uh, if you're not reading along, hearts. Uh, cans punches hearts boxcars, and when when you see this right like how it gets represented on the page in the panel is hussy takes like a calendar and has like the characters flying across like the weeks so hearts boxcars gets punched into an entirely new calendar called the spirited horse <laughs> and it's just like all of these majestic horse photos uh, do you happen to have the caption for this handy cameron uh oh, wait uh, <laughs> uh you let
1: you land okay so this is uh um, thirteen thirty four um can's p- clocks box cars you get it because he's clocks people uh-huh. um can's clocks box cars entirely out of the current calendar year you land in a totally different outdated calendar so he lands on this horse and then uh thirteen thirty five looks like this one's themed with spirited horses you'll be up to your ass in horses for a whole year just great this is just what you need to be doing farming all these goddamn horses fucking pain in the ass <laughs> and, and in each month he's like because it, it's the back of the calendar where you can see like little demo images of all the months so you can make the decision about whether you want to purchase his calendar and it, he's just sitting with the horses he's standing with the horses he's just around the horses in a general sense just enjoying them mm-hmm. uh for the whole calendar year it's
0: great yeah it's it's so good uh and then it's right after his after this that spade slick like gets fed up with everything and takes crowbars crowbar and uses it to pry open lord english's vault and that's what trans uh transports him to a timeline where everyone except him and snowman are dead and so that's what takes us into Mm -hmm. the end of the intermission um before we really talk about some of that stuff are there other things that you wanted to bring up and hit other questions you wanted to ask and and things of that nature
1: Well, it's interesting that they're, you know, the one additional thing, it's interesting that um, the clock's destroyed counter Mm -hmm. that gets presented almost as, a lot of things that Hussey does up to this point feel like ideas that are fun in the moment, but which will be absolute torture to pay off. (laughs) And so they don't, Mm -hmm. you know, they detour, they purposely detour around that even when people are prompting. To do that and and clocks destroyed, you know, at the very beginning of the thing, there's clocks there and then, uh, uh, you know, literal clocks and then uh, they destroy them, you know, the user command is to destroy them. And then it's like clocks destroyed four out of a thousand. And that's very much like Xbox 360 achievement. Mm hmm uh evocation here right Uh oh we can do that and so people repeatedly are like let's destroy these clocks get that counter up and hussy is playing with that you know a lot of genie logic going on there um but uh it's it's like this kind of thing where again it's this little thread of like player or reader interaction you know a little hook someone can fixate on let's get that count up. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it becomes a way of people uh, prompting, but then that gets like ignored or or kicked off because it is ultimately not interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, it it seems like Hussey has a pretty good barometer for understanding what makes people engage with this and also how to dismiss those engagements um, in funny ways, right? Mm -hmm. In ways that are still like comical. I don't think anyone who cared about the clocks destroyed, and I'm sure that there are people who did, I don't think anyone who cared about that is like upset about the way that it goes down because ultimately it it works out, right? When Spade Slicks go, goes into another timeline, uh, the whole mansion is destroyed. So it's 1,000 out of 1,000 clocks destroyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like everyone gets to be happy. Yes. Um, and I think that's that's a real virtuoso uh, narrative wrapping up is contriving conditions under which everyone can feel like their little goal is fulfilled without ever really doing anything to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's that's really notable and I I wonder I wonder if that's how the entirety of Homestuck goes down <laughs> you know right because that's the trouble with this whole apparatus right is that it seems like Hussey is extremely good at over the course of 500 panels paying off a lot of things in ways that are genuinely fulfilling mm-hmm. you know you're like oh yeah they did get in the game oh they did destroy the clocks whatever um but there are all these lingering threads you know even if you close off four out of five over the course of thousands of pages that one remainder starts really stacking up <laughs> and it feels like we're in like jenga tower uh with homestuck main cannon at this point and even with the stuff that goes on here at the very end where spades like goes down into the bunker it feels like we're in jenga tower levels of how could all of this fit together in a way that doesn't feel Contrived or boring or dismissive or just leaving a lot of things on the table When you've created a fan community that already at this point seems like they're invested in payoffs mm-hmm. And you've done a pretty good job of paying off things
0: Um, so it seems seems pretty dangerous to me all told you are correct Uh, and we are here like so the the intermission I said you there's a kind of like a, a sub fandom within homestuck for the intermission specifically, uh The intermission is when you get people making, like, felt plushes, right? Like, people making their Mm. own kind of plush versions of these characters. Uh, Like, basically, you know, fan art, fan work that takes a lot of dedication and a lot of skill uh, that people have these things and they choose how they're going to dispense these skills into the world. And like people care enough about what is happening here, that they are going to make really good, cute little plushes of like, of like Sawbuck crying. Cause he's like been hit or something. Um, hmm. right. So, so, uh, I wanted to mark that because the, the the scale and the type of fan production uh, that Homestuck sees is so incredible for, for what it is and sort of when it is. Uh, and this is really kind of where we're going to start seeing the beginning of it, right? We're not just seeing people making these... Uh, uh, Byzantine maps to figure out how everyone is walking through the the felt mansion in every single timeline simultaneously. Uh, we are also seeing people making plushes and people, uh, you know, drawing fan art, obviously. Uh, and then very shortly after, I think the intermission finishes or just before it finishes, um, a new album gets posted to the Homestuck Bandcamp, uh, which is the Midnight Crew album. They get their own entire hmm. album. Uh, where they like the, the, the conceit behind it. Um, and Hussey explains this in a news post. I had this idea to start making fake bands based on various characters from MSPA some time ago, back when the music project was starting up. And I soon realized I'd have way more music on my hands that I could possibly use in the story. Um, and so that's where, like, the Midnight Crew album comes from. So we're getting, uh, you know, it's a little transmedia thing. Like, this Midnight Crew mm-hmm. album is not integral to understanding the intermission, to understanding the story, uh, to understanding sort of anything that's going on. Uh, and at the same time, like, it's there if you want it. If you like these characters, if you like this setting, uh, there's more of that flavor for you if you choose to, to go there. Yeah,
1: this feels like, you know, a little little pitch for, uh, you can check out our Just King Things bonusodes over on the Patreon, patreon.com slash range touch. There's a link down in the description below this episode. But last month, we were able to, I think last month from when this goes up, yeah, last month from when this goes up, we were able to um, have Joseph Fink from mm-hmm. Night Vale on the show. We didn't talk about Homestuck. We probably should have. We probably should have said, Joseph Fink, where are you on Homestuck? <laughs> Oh, because I know where Joseph they... is on
0: Homestuck because he asked me about it. Oh, OK. He said, OK, he, he, where is he on Homestuck? He he asked me, uh, how do I like, how do I read it? What's the best way to read it? Because he's never been able to get into it. Um, and I told him, well, you can use the podcast to help. But basically just start reading from page one. He, he wanted to know if the inventory stuff like can be skipped or ignored and I said mm. yes I mean n- yes and no right like you should read it to understand that it's there uh but it's not necessarily going to be integral to the next seven thousand pages uh but that's the problem <laughs> right is <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> uh it's, how would you know that if someone doesn't tell you it, well and also I think like uh, the first game that I can think of that ever really got this kind of reception was Final Fantasy 13. Where people would be like, you know, if you get past the first like 30 hours of gameplay, the last 30 (laughs) hours are really good. Um, And so I I find myself in this position where it's like, well, if you can get past the first like 2,000 pages of Homestuck, uh, then the remaining 6,000 pages don't have as many inventory jokes. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? Here's what I'm going to say. I think the inventory joke of all that shit
1: being thrown out the window and then being able to look at it, I think that's still the best Homestuck joke, <laughs> like by far, you know, that, 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 uh, cake being splattered across the, across the, um, uh, the driveway. That's still my, maybe my favorite visual gag. Um, but the, the reason I asked that, uh, the reason I bring that up is that I, I feel like I see a lot of Night veil in- mm. This transmedia transformation that you're talking about, this moment where Homestuck is is branching out and kind of developing and unfolding in ways beyond just the you know the MSPA thing, and I think also you know what you're talking about here with um, Hussy uh, doing the Form Spring with the beginning mm-hmm. of Act Four. There's something going on here where approachability. I somewhere here you've also maybe we'll talk about this on the next episode, but it looks like huge numbers of people are beginning to w- w- look at this thing um mm-hmm. you know we'll talk about that i think with act four i think i i've just read ahead in the notes a little bit but much larger numbers than maybe previous mm-hmm. um for mspa stuff we're uh, looking at homestuck and so it is getting much bigger it's much more robust i think we'll talk about that with act four so look forward to that for next episode but um A lot of that, like kind of transmedia touching stuff. You know, I'm thinking about the way that Night Vale used uh, uh, the weather. You know, Mm -hmm. and brought in all these kind of external bands to to do things. I'm thinking about the way that so much of Night Vale, you know, because I, I I was really into Night Vale or really listening to it heavily for like maybe the first thirty episodes or something, and then I think I started graduate school and <laughs> and I just didn't listen to podcasts for you know a while and never got back to it because the fiction had moved in such a significant way, but um, the uh but the way that like. Um, especially on the Tumblr, um, uh, platform, the way the like narrative was unfolding and the way that so much fan production was being committed to connecting up all the pieces and kind of drawing maps of Night Vale and figuring mm-hmm. out how all of this kind of geographic space fit together and who the characters were and how they related to each other and how that was hinted at. Um, all of that feels like something that was maybe, um, uh, pushed forward earlier, or maybe, maybe this is a better way of saying it. Those communities were primed for something like Night Vale through what Homestuck had already been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know if, if you were familiar or comfortable with what Homestuck was doing, I think sliding into something like Night Vale, which feels so much less hostile mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in like every way, um, might have been you know easy to do um, and I can weirdly enough see someone having a hard time making the leap the other way. If you're really into Night Vale, I think it might have been hard to to jump into something so overbearing like Mm -hmm. homestuck
0: Mm -hmm. no i i think i think you are correct right i i think that there is definitely even though right like joseph has is not a homestuck like has not been able to get past like act one has not been able to get john out of the bedroom um i think when we think about homestuck makes this world one of the things to kind of gesture at is like What are kind of the cultural channels that are primed to exist that Homestuck is sort of tapping into? And how do we see a kind of a model for contemporary fandom emerging in this moment uh, between these platforms like, uh, you know, Tumblr and discussions and forums um, and Formspring? spring way back in part one of the first episode? I think uh, you said something about one of the reasons Homestuck seems to generate and MSPA kind of generally seems to generate such like a a close uh, community uh, or like a a sort of close attraction, I guess I should say, uh, is that the, the object is talking to the audience or at least it feels like it. And, and again, kind of a Mm -hmm. Doric the Explorer kind of way, but here also much more literal in that you type something into the commands uh, prompt and like Andrew Hussey Uh, reads that and either makes something with it or doesn't and sometimes like uh, goes sort of above and beyond acknowledging your command uh, but also like warping it in a way that you know demonstrates to you that there's a real person on the other end of this so I think of like uh, in the intermission for example a lot of uh, people are trying to get Hussy to switch characters in the narrative, right? They're in, they're uh, giving <laughs> yes. commands. That's like you know, uh, like as when when we're occupying sort of the, the head of Spade Slick, it's like you know, stop being Spade Slick and be Hearts Boxcars. Um, and this is other. This is again like uh, problem sleuth stuff, right? This is how you switch characters in problem sleuth is that you would say stop being so and so, be the other guy. Um, mm-hmm. so this gets so convoluted in the intermission where someone, uh, says, you know, like spade slick, uh, go back to be, go back to being hearts boxcars. And then the prompt replies spade slick cannot return to being hearts boxcars because obviously diamonds droog is too busy being clubs deuce. Uh, so there's a, there's all of this stuff happening, right? The, the comic is, is talking to people still, Um, and the form spring makes that literal, like you, like literally you're, you're asking hussy questions and they're providing answers. Uh, but then the thing that I think that this also, uh, makes it worth noting about the intermission, and I don't know if you necessarily feel the same way, uh, that narrator, right? Prompt, uh, or, you know, whatever, whatever term we want to use for the thing that processes the inputs and then gives the replies, uh, gets extremely more irascible toward the commands that are being given in the intermission.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, do we want to talk about the end of the intermission? Well, I just wanted to to point out, right, we we are seeing two things, right?
1: Mm.
0: The intermission exists ostensibly because Hussey says, I want to have something that's more driven by reader commands. That's thing number one. Thing number two, the intermission, uh, while sort of leaning into reader commands is also kind of, the most dismissive of reader commands that the comic has been thus far. And it is in act four, the next act, that reader commands go away forever. So just thinking about, like, I don't know, if we can project a kind of, like, creative process behind here or, like, uh, mapping a timeline for how frustrating the reader commands become to deal with, uh, I I think we're seeing kind of those tensions start to to bubble up. But yeah, let's talk about the end. What what do you make of this, Cameron, as uh, the new reader? And obviously, I think you probably have a little more additional context now because you've read ahead into Act 4. Um, but at the moment you read it, like, how how did this all kind of land for you? How did it lock together or not?
1: Well, I did say there's a great little dude. There's a little guy. Mm-hmm. A little big guy. Well, so, you know, I thought it was interesting. Some interesting stuff going here. So let's, let's start at... Uh... Uh, uh, 1349, if you, if people want to read along and we'll talk about it as we go. Right. So, uh,
0: space like loses an arm mm-hmm. and then has a barcode on his arm. Did we already know about that? Um, I think you kind, I think maybe you could have glimpsed it in an earlier panel. Like it wasn't a thing that was drawn right. attention to, but if you were, and of course this is the sort of thing that would happen the panel would be posted, uh, the narrative would not draw attention to the the code on the arm, but people in the forums are like, hey, do you notice Spade Slick has the exact same kind of barcode thing on his arm as like uh, uh, WV does?
1: And uh, that's 100% lost. Mm-hmm. That's 100% any of these kind of like puzzle box narrative or, uh, you know, black box narrative shows. Um, so then we go to 1350. He rips the cover off and goes down into the hatch, the hatch, the hatch. Uh, (laughs) and it's the sky, logo, of course. Mm -hmm. So we know it's one of those hatches goes down into it. Uh, I mean, here's another one of those 1352 is we see the bottom of the ladder and then we see like a little pendant Mm -hmm. over there on the left on the ground. And like, that's another thing not remarked upon. There's no narrative, um, uh, component to this, no written narr- uh, narrative component to this. He goes over, and then he's you know this big uh, twelve screen thingy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, what do you call it? One of these like control deck things. And the narrative says this guy again, been a long time. It's a little gray dude, mm-hmm. and and Spadeslick types with one thingy, Hey kid, and uh, we got. A little gray guy. All right. We've got a little gray guy. He's got some sort of uh, alchemical symbol. Do
0: mm-hmm. you, you, you not recognize think. that?
1: I don't know. I don't know which alchemical symbol attaches it's to It's not my, just an right? alchemical what symbol. That? What is it? That's me? a zodiac sign, Cameron. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's cancer. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Oh, God. All right. I don't know this. I'm just going to take a... I, the, this is pure supposition. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be 400 of these little goddamn kids, right? And they're all gonna be <laughs> a zodiac symbol, aren't they?
0: Well, uh, uh, this this is great. Um, yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, okay. Great. Uh, Excellent. I have no problem confirming that to you because this is another thing that I wanted to bring up at this point. Um, there are there is, and this is this is actually one of the things that's sort of the most fascinating for me about like reading through this again with someone who hasn't read it with like trying to reflect on my experience of reading through it live. um, There are things that the readership knows at this point that are 100% true and accurate, but have in no way been uh, put forth into the comic uh, apart from like small details from which readers have reverse engineered uh, things. So for instance, um, Hmm. the readers on the official forums and this is what is being reported in the something awful forums have already figured out that uh there are 12 trolls and they're all like aligned with a zodiac sign. Okay.
1: cuz we've gotten what like four of them so far in text, three of them, four of them, something like Yeah, that? we
0: have um a carcinogeneticist uh mm-hmm. who who is this one? Well, we right? we may assume, right? Cuz Carcino, right, uh, uh, cancer, and then also the thing that you did not mention is that uh, this little fella has like a weird crab ghost floating behind him. Looks an awful lot like yes. a, a game sprite. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, then we have Grim Auxiliatrix, uh, Adios Toriador, and oh gosh, who's the other one who's, who's spoken? Um, I th- yeah, I think there is a fourth one. I just can't.
1: I don't remember when. Oh, maybe happened.
0: maybe we're like jumping forward too, because I know we get another one in Act Four. Uh, uh, in oh, yeah, maybe succession, that's it, maybe. But uh, anyway, yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, but the other thing is that people have we've seen more screen names than we've spoken to trolls. We've seen them in like the little pester chum roles or the troll slum, as it's yep. called. Um, mm-hmm. There's someone named like Twin Armageddons. There's another person named Arachnids Grip. Uh. So pe- people had. They actually someone in the discord posted some really great uh, <laughs> fan speculation art from before it was confirmed that this is kind of what trolls were going to look like. At the beginning, it was assumed that the trolls were uh, just human kids, like an alternate group mm-hmm. of human kids who were all kind of like goth or mean or something. Uh, and then they started insisting that they were aliens. Uh, but. Uh, yeah so like by this point like fans have figured this out there's a whole bunch of other stuff Cameron that the fans have figured out that I have not brought up at all because I don't think you would care but holy crap are there some Mm. details here
1: now are they uh, what's the ratio of uh, accurate called shot to inaccurate called shot Um, I mean like for elaborate fan theories you know not just like the single sentence whatever but like (laughs) things that people are like this is true
0: so this this shakes out in some pretty bizarre ways, um, though. And, and I'll have more to say about this uh, in, in the next episode in Act 4, because that's where we start seeing a lot of uh, we see a huge uptick in, in speculation in Act 4 and sort of mm-hmm. the types of speculation. Um, at this point, the fan theorists are getting a lot of stuff right um quite a bit of stuff and that stuff is usually uh things that are like about applying game logic or sort of like schematic logic mm-hmm. to small hints within the story so things like uh noticing uh the names of the trolls and being like hey each of these kind of echoes a a, a traditional um you know western zodiac sign for example Uh, But then there are also like one one poster that I read near the beginning of the intermission uh, was just like, you know, I think the felt are the trolls. (laughs) Which is not correct, clearly, Um, but, you know, there's there's always going to be like more people making like absurd called shots uh, than I think people who are like reading closely and uh, pulling together like these kinds of. Weird little like system or like schematic clues. Hmm. Gotcha.
1: Well, this is that little gremlin of a of a fella mm-hmm. here. A little troll. And uh yeah, got, you know, got some uh Silodex pages here. Got a trash can, it looks like got a sickle. Mm-hmm. Got that's a, not a that's not a trash a can, sprite. that's
0: a cruxite dowel. Oh god. Mm-hmm. Blech. Which lets us know that this little kid is playing Spurb.
1: Yep, uh, yep, yep. Well, yeah, the sprite kind of kicked it off <laughs> uh, for me, and maybe it's in purple and maybe is not. Who knows? I mean, we can see out a window, mm-hmm. and there's uh, purple clouds, but we don't know uh, from whence. And but uh, interestingly enough, right, Spade's like knows who this is. Mm-hmm. And then this is the the truly weird thing. 1356, we go, and that's an MS Paint Adventures. Page that someone is reading, mm-hmm. and it, that's drawn in the way that uh, <laughs> the MS Paint Adventures pages have been when someone is looking at them in the the Homestuck world mm-hmm. before, and, uh, and so it looks like garbage. Yeah. This little this little gray kid looks like John when when he's in there, mm-hmm. and then the, we you know the uh, things close the curtains close David Lynch style. And uh, then we get Act Four. Mm-hmm.
0: It's pretty weird. So weird is that? That's your response.
1: Well, it's just like, yeah, guy, this is gonna tie into the story, I guess, isn't mm-hmm. it? You know, like this is gonna be, this is all one thing. <laughs> I better remember how. Um. Crackers works, whatever sandwich, whatever you know. That <laughs> that character, I better remember how his powers work because that might come oh, back. Yeah. Who oh, knows? Crackers
0: and sandwich. Oh,
1: yeah, you know. those are my those are my OC. Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, billiard ball. <laughs> so you like People invent can make those two
0: new too. types of billiard ball? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to represent them. Like this one has spikes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um but yeah i don't know like i like i said like i think the the moment-to-moment reading of it is like fun for the intermission i think it's like a good little story um but uh the homestuckiness of it is is not engaging Mm -hmm. um just because like this rules logic is not something i'm particularly enthused with um but you know what homestuck did make this world i can confidently agree and say that because there's not a single goddamn thing on this universe at this point, that's a mass media property that does not operate in this exact same way. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, think about something like, uh, I didn't watch this, but I caught so much of the, um, the conversation that, you know, you can't dodge it. This The relationship between the intermission and Homestuck is exactly the relationship between WandaVision and the rest of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Like, exactly. It is a little cul-de-sac of narrative That is like holdable on its own and has all of its own weird little rules and manipulations or whatever that that has like three or four threads that are going to shoot out from it that impact this broader thing. And so you really it's maybe important to know what that cul-de-sac what happened in there but more important is to know what those threads are and how they're going to weave into the rest of the thing. Homestuck created the Marvel universe <laughs> like the logic here and really that's because you know not to step on your your book or in any way and I'm sure that you'll make this argument in some form or fashion but it's because Homestuck is capitalism <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like it functions in the exact absorptive and uh you know what McKinsey work would call vectorialist mode um, even though it's like uh, the small business owner vectorialist, mm-hmm. <laughs> weirdly enough, rather than, you know, the platform owner vectorialist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, H- Hussie lives and dies on the flow on controlling the flows of information within the story world. Mm-hmm. Um, and rather than, you know, being an editor in some ways is is more of what um uh, Hussey's job is. Uh certainly going into it seems like based on what you told me, going into Act Four. But
0: um anyway. It's interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, whole, all of Homestuck might be read as uh, what Alexander Galloway calls an allegory of control. <gasps> which is something that is explained further in the Interface Effect. But I'm not going to talk about the Interface Effect or Galloway anymore. I'm just going to, going to, you know, tap that. So if that's something that you, that's a thread that you've been interested in in our discussions here, or rather, rather my monologues, uh, you can go check that out even more than you did before. Uh One fun thing that I want to talk about fun in in the hugest scare quotes possible, Um, just so we know where we're heading. uh, You already mentioned, you know, we're heading into act four and I'll I'll let the listener know uh, act four is when Homestuck locks me in. Mm -hmm. Like that's when that's when I kind of like fully jump on the bandwagon and I'll talk about uh, exactly what precipitates all of that um, when we get there. Uh. But, you know, here at the end of the intermission, I'm like too busy studying abroad and like, I don't know, learning how the London tube system works or whatever it was I was doing uh, to really understand what has happened. I'm like, well, that was weird. And then I just sort of like putter along into act four. And it's not until some act four stuff happens that I go back to the intermission and start piecing some of the things we've just talked about together. Uh, But what I was doing this time in reading through the forums and and, uh, noticing some things. I just thought it would be fun to do a little bit of math for for everyone. So uh, something awful over the course of a couple of years has a few homestuck threads. And this is, you know, typical for forums, typical for something awful that uh, once a particular thread gets too long, you close it down and you make a new mega thread for that particular topic. So I am still in the first uh, homestuck mega thread uh, on something awful. And it begins in August 2009, which is uh, basically about halfway uh, through Act 2, right? Almost smack in the middle. Um, On the current layout for Something Awful's forums, there are 40 posts per page. Uh, By February 2010, at the end of the intermission, the entire thread has reached the length of 43 pages. Uh, so that's, you know, 1,720 posts. And so I'm assuming, you know, that there's probably like some slight variation there. I'm not being exact. I'm sort of like rounding up and down uh, on pages here. Um, but that means over the course of 182 days of that thread being active, uh, there were an average of 9.5 posts per day. This first Homestuck thread uh, ends in early November, 2010 on page 649. So that's uh, from this point to early November, there are going to be 24,240 more posts made over the span of 273 days, which means the average is 88.8 posts per day. That's a that's a lot of posts. That is so many posts, <laughs> um, and that's that's what we're that's what we're heading toward, right? Uh, the well, I'll, I'll say more about this uh, next time. Uh, we are range touch. Um, if you would like to come back next time and hear more about what we have to say uh, regarding homestuck you can subscribe to this show or you can go to rangetouch.com where you can see all of our other shows including just king things where we're kind of doing this but reading through the books of Stephen King in publication order it's a lot less convoluted I will admit um game study study buddies which we've mentioned a couple times where we talk about these ideas of like media theory and game logic. Uh, and we also do all sorts of stuff. Uh, this is this is, this episode will be coming out far in the future. But like as as of the time of recording, uh, we have a cool Patreon only Let's Play uh, that Cameron, uh, Danny, and I did of the Dark Pictures Anthology Little Hope um which is a very homestuckian experience in its way because uh that game and we were doing multiplayer and it ended up splitting us off in ways that we did not anticipate and so we had to like talk to each other over voice to figure out where we were in different parts of the game map uh Yep. It's a fun time. You get that if you uh, give us any amount of money at all at patreon.com slash range touch. Also, this show like only happened because of uh, Patreon. Uh, Thank you so much if you are already... uh, You know supporting us but if you want to support us you not only get some stuff like those special let's plays but you get the just king things bonus episodes you get our notes for game study study buddies and you get some uh cool bonus content that we are sort of planning for homestuck uh i don't want to say too much about it right now but uh i i think people will get a kick out of it um Anything else, sort of like new Range Touch stuff we want to talk about? Oh, we have a, a store, rangetouch.com shop if you want to get a, a cool t-shirt. Uh, and that's another way of supporting us. Uh, another huge uh, avenue of support, uh, rating us on whatever your podcast platform of choice is, you know, uh, your, your Apple podcasts or what have you, that really helps us, uh, you know, gain visibility and recommending us to people that you know who you think may be interested in these types of conversations or uh, learning more about, about Homestuck and in the world it made, but also how the world made it. Uh, thanks so much again for coming along with us and next time we will begin episode three, which of course is when we will read act four of Homestuck and we will be reading about the first third of that act. So up through page one thousand five hundred sixty. Uh, anything you want to add Cameron? Yes, if you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, for example,
1: you can get on there and rate us five stars. I, you know what? If you if you give us a uh, rating, you give us a five-star rating and say something funny in there, I'll read it on the show. <laughs> How about that? So let's see. Uh, um, this is from Tinder Milkshake. That's a good name. Lo- that is good. Love this. This podcast wasn't what I initially thought it was going to be. It was better. <laughs> one of my favorite things about Homestuck is how many different forms of fan content there are to consume. Whether that be art, text, music, etc. It all adds to the universe and makes it feel even more expansive. Even though this isn't the first one of its kind, doing a podcast on the comic itself is such a cool idea. And it's the first one personally, that has to have personally captured my interest and kept me engaged throughout. Uh, then they go on to say that they have been a fan since two thousand and eleven, and they uh uh but they had not heard someone explore the comic to this depth, even though they're pretty involved in the fan community it's a long hmm. it's a long review uh we appreciate a long review um another person, a true comrade, wrote a review titled "Cool." <laughs> And the text is thumbs-up emoji. <laughs> <laughs> and those are both good. Uh, so, and everyone, uh, you know, all these five-star re- uh, reviews are good. I'm just choosing a couple here. So if you want us to read your review on the show, give us a five-star review, and uh, I'll look at a couple of them at the end of each episode, and uh, we'll go from there. That seems like a fun thing mm-hmm. to do. Um,
0: I think that's it. That's all I got. All right. Well, I mean... Traditionally, you get the sign-off, but I don't know, here it is, we're in the intermission and I just made you speak, so, great?